You may have a seat. So glad you're here this morning. Are you glad to be in the house of God this morning? This side is. I'm not sure you guys are yet here. Okay, we got two on this side. That's good. Are y'all okay? Do we need to start over? It could be that the worship was just so good. You guys are just so ready. And I'm okay with that. So we're in the book of Matthew. We've been in the book of Matthew for literally a while. I don't even remember how long we've been in the book of Matthew. But it's been so good walking and taking our time, picking apart Jesus and his stories. It's so good. Now, I know many of you are thinking, well, how are we going to fit in the Easter story coming up when we're not even quite there yet? Because we're still in this whole Holy Week. Well, we're going we're gonna to make it work. We're going to skip forward and come back. How about that? Because <clears throat> that's what we can do. But it's going to be good. We've got Good Friday coming up. We've got a huge Sunday next week with Celebration Sunday. We're super excited about that. We want you to make plans to come back and be a part of that. But I'm glad you're here. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. And this is a very long passage. We're not going to cover it all today. We're going to look at the first 12 verses because it really hits home with a few things that we really need to pay attention to as followers. Because we're all followers in some form or fashion. It's kind of one of those things where we tell our kids, um, do as I say, don't do as I do. Y'all ever said that before? Yes, we have as parents. Do as I say, don't do as I do. And the reality is that's the worst statement ever as a parent. Because what I do should match what I say. And if I say, hey, don't do this, then I shouldn't be doing that, right? Yes is the correct answer on that. Yes, that is correct, Pastor Allen. And the fact is, in our Christian walk, there are many times where we as believers say one thing and do quite the opposite. And then we wonder why our friends don't know that we're believers, or our neighbors, or our co-workers. And we're going to find out today that Jesus addresses this. Remember, he's been playing along the Pharisees and Sadducees games who always bring up these questions, and, and he always answers them with another question and usually deals with something different than what they're really asking. And now they have just all been quiet. The religious leaders have gone silent. And it's now Jesus' turn. He gets to ask the questions, and he's coming at them pretty hard. He's coming at him pretty strong. And this is his last, I'm not going to say ditch effort because it's not the last ditch effort, but it's his last successive um, teachings that he's going to have before he is gone to go give his life for our sins. And he's going after these Pharisees and Sadducees, but he's dealing with them as he's talking to everybody else who's listening. And one of the things that he's kind of addressing is talk is cheap. Y'all ever said that? Talk is cheap, man. Talk is so cheap, you can say all that you want to say, but if you don't back it up, then your words really mean nothing. Because our actions speak louder than our words. Now, we love to hold everybody else accountable to that, but we don't want to be held accountable to that. Amen? Because we know that our actions speak louder than words, but as long as everybody else is doing that, I don't have to. And the reality is, that's not true. And by the way, it's not the actions of my parents that I'm responsible for. I am responsible for 
me. As a parent, there's a certain portion that I'm responsible for the actions of my children. But at some point, those children are going to grow up and they're going to be responsible, personally responsible for their own actions. Parents, that's probably a perfect opportunity for you to say amen right there. Like, there's a, there's a personal responsibility that we all carry. If I get a speeding ticket, it's not Sally's fault. It's my fault. That's my personal responsibility. If I light a fire in the middle of our house because we're cold and it burns the house down, it's not my family's fault because they were cold. It's my fault because I'm an idiot and I made a fire in the middle of our living room. There's personal responsibility in our day and age. Our world, our nation has lost their marbles as far as what personal responsibility looks like. At some point, we can amen that and agree with that, but if we as believers don't model that and live that, then we're just as bad as they are. That was a lot less amens on that one, but that's okay. <laughs> because that's the truth of it. We have personal responsibility in all of this. And when we become followers of Christ, for me, in my opinion, my personal responsibility just increases so much. Do you know why? Because I'm carrying the name of Christ. I am representing the creator of the world. The one who sent his son to die on a cross for my sins and to be uh, raised from the dead in power and victory to give me the hope of eternal life. That is the name that I am taking on and the one that I proclaim is the Lord of my life. Therefore, my personal responsibility is so much more because it's his name that is on the line. And have a responsibility to protect it, to live up to that, to honor the teachings that he has given us. Talk is cheap, Christian. Your actions say more than your mouth does. And Jesus, in this passage, he's hearing these Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders teach all of these truths, by the way, solid law. Good stuff from the beginning that God gave us. They are teaching them. But the teaching is not the problem. The living out is the problem. You can have all the head knowledge you want and live like the devil. And Jesus is addressing that. So we're going to kind of look at two different things throughout this sermon. It won't be explicitly out there, but I want you to think about these two things. What's your personal responsibility in this? Where do you fall in all of this? And how are you watching others that lead you? Okay? So here's our main thought for today. You can be empty of self and full of Christ, or you can be full of self and empty of Christ. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground on this one. It's either empty of self, meaning I, my wants, needs, desires no longer matter, but my heart is seeking after righteousness so that I may be filled with his righteousness in order to live out who he really is. There's a seeking, there's a, a personal responsibility to go after him. But in the same respect, 
I can be all about me and be absolutely empty of Christ. And sadly, many of us fall in one of those two categories and we're not even sure which one it is. Think about that. I am going to do something I don't normally do, but I got to take this off today. Doesn't mean y'all are in big trouble. It just means I'm taking this off today. <laughs> I'm just getting comfortable. That's all. It's, it's a little, it's a little toasty up here. No, 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 no. Well, maybe. I really want more than anything else for our church to be a church that is full of people who are full of Christ. I want our town to know that, hey, when you go visit this church, these are people who are empty of self and full of Christ. And my fear is we have a lot of people, not just our church, but all over that think they're full of Christ, but they're really not. We take on Christ in hopes it just miraculously fixes everything. We take on Christ in hopes that I'll get what I'm looking for. And the reality is we're owed nothing from him. When we take on Christ, it is a life of full submission saying, whatever my life looks like, I'm in. And that's hard for us. So let's go. Let's go into the passage and see what does Jesus really address with these Pharisees. And I'm telling you, the first 12 verses are really nice. They are way nicer than the rest of that passage. And we will hit that passage uh, after Easter. We'll come back and hit it. But in chapter 23, the first 12 verses go like this. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, which I love because he hasn't left this group setting who he just addressed the Pharisees. Now he's, I can picture in his mind, we've not, this is not clear or not, but maybe he's just kind of turned around, turned his back to those guys and now facing the crowds and talking loud enough to where they can hear him. Saying, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. That's a really big seat, by the way. We're going to talk about that in just a minute because that is a prominent spot. Moses was the leader of the children of Israel. He was the one that God spoke directly to, gave him the law. Moses helped formulate the law. And now they are sitting in the same seat that Moses sat in as far as conducting the business of the law. Big, big seat to fill. And watch what he says. Therefore... Based on the fact that these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and religious leaders, the ones who are doing all the teaching of the law, based on the fact that they are in Moses' seat, that's what a therefore means. It means look back at the verse before it and pay attention. Whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. Stop right there, don't read anymore. Jesus looks at the, the followers, his disciples, and says, hey, these scribes and Pharisees, the discerners of the law, the ones that are teaching you the law to help you understand what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do, whatever they teach you, do it. Do it. Do what they are instructing you to do. That is a fair statement. Because it's not about the teacher, it's about what they are teaching. They're teaching the law of Moses, the law of God. 
But watch what he says. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. He says, listen, what they're teaching you is spot on. So hear what they're saying, but don't do what they're doing. Maybe that's where we get the little phrase, do what I say, don't do what I do. So when we say that, we just called ourselves a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I want what I say is what I do. What I do matches what I say. And Jesus says, listen, what they're teaching you is solid stuff. It's good. It came from me. However, don't look too closely at how they're, don't model them. And he's going to give the reasons why. Watch what he says. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, he says, they create this big, elaborate thing to do to observe the law, which isn't really a part of what we are asking you to do, but they've created this thing, but they're not even willing to do it. Verse 5, but all their works they do to be seen by, say it loudly, men. men. Does that sound like full of self or full of Christ? That's all about me. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seat in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to um, be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They love the attention. Preachers that are that way make me nervous. I'm just going to be honest. But you, talking to the crowds, do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Here's what he is saying here. He's like, listen, do not put the responsibility on that person that only belongs to God. God is your father. Your father on this earth is not your savior. God is your savior. Christ is your savior. God is your creator who loves you. Your father here on earth, he's not the guy. Your teachers, listen, your teachers, listen, by the way, you teachers that are here in this audience today, God bless you. You guys are saints in a big way with what you have to deal with anymore. So God bless you. But you're not the greatest teacher. That sounded really awful. (laughs) But in the context of scripture, There's only one teacher that really matters, and you're not it. Yes. (laughs) Man, I I almost feel bad on that. Sorry. Not really. But watch verses 11 and 12. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Wait, what? He who is greatest among you. You take the highest person in our in our little nation, which would be our president. Hey, easy. <laughs> he is called to be our servant. Me, as your pastor, I am called to be your servant. 
Now, many of you are thinking, whoa, whoa, wait a second. No, 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 you're the pastor. You get to sit at the best table. You get to go first in the line. You get to do all, you don't have to scrub the toilets, pastor. No, I will gladly take the back spot of the line. I will scrub a toilet when I have to. That, mm mm-mm. I want to serve. That's my heart. Christ of all people came and he served. This is God's son, God in the flesh, living amongst us, who had every right and opportunity to take over. And what did he do? He served. Verse 12. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humbling means to have an attitude of, I'm not the guy. To kind of knock ourselves down a notch or two. And I would much rather work on humbling myself than to exalt myself and have God humble me. Because he's really good at what he does. And he hits in ways that we could never imagine. And so he's speaking out loud to this large group of people and he's addressing the problem of the day. They had some preachers, some pastors, some religious leaders that were all about themselves, that had great teaching skills, great head knowledge, were teaching the right things, but their lives did not match what they were saying. Sadly, in our nation, we still have that. My suggestion to you is find a church where the teaching is solid and the actions of the leaders match the teachings. And if they don't, find one that does, but do not quit on the church of God because of faulty leaders. That is you making excuses to not have personal responsibility in your walk with Christ. Moses' seat. So let's talk about that just for a minute. Moses' seat. This seat was a seat of great humility. If you can think back to Moses when he was called, he had all kinds of reasons and excuses as to why he wasn't the guy. But God said, no, you are the guy. You're the very one that I want. And Moses is like, no, I can't speak right. I can't do this. They're not going to follow me. And he's like, you're right. They're not going to follow you. They're going to follow me. I just need you to be in the forefront. Isn't that funny? Because that's kind of what we do, right? Well, they're going to have to follow me. No, no, no. Paul said it best, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, I'm going to try to stay as close to Christ as I can so when you look at me, you really don't see me, you see Christ. That is how we all are to lead our lives, by the way. That's not just for religious leaders and pastors or the strong Christians. That's for every person who claims the name of Christ. We have a personal responsibility that when people look at us, they do not see us, they see the life of Christ. It's a seed of great humility, and these Pharisees were abusing it. It was all about them. It was, how haughty can I look? How elegant can I make my robe? How much can I get noticed as I'm walking through the streets? This Moses' seat is a seat of great responsibility. These men have the task, the responsibility to take the law and make it understandable to the people who probably could not read, who probably never even put their hands on a scroll, 
who had no idea what the law might look like, but they trusted these men as the religious leaders of their day to give them the understanding that they needed so that they can live for God. And the problem was these men took uh, um, advantage of that and they taught it really well, but they led different types of lives. And it's a seat of great respect. Everyone came to these men. Everyone. And you know what's great about what we have right now? You don't have to come to me to understand all this. You can read. You have your own copy of scripture, which a lot of people in our world do not, but you are so blessed. You have multiple versions you can choose from for crying out loud. There's no excuse that you don't have a Bible. It's on your phone. And we still don't read it. We still don't open it up and say, talk to me. Well, I read it all the time and I just don't get anything. There may be a reason for that. There really may be a true medical reason that you have reading comprehension issues, whatever. I get that. But if you really seek God with all of your heart, he will be found. There's a lot of times that we read and we don't because we haven't worked on the first thing that he's asked us to work on. And until we get that settled, we may not be able to move on to the next step. There's a lot of personal responsibility in all of this. And Jesus is saying, don't look to these guys. You have a responsibility with the truth that you have in your heart. These, these followers, these disciples, they know the law. They've listened to these guys teach because they've gone to these men, because they respected their position. But Jesus is now saying, hey, respect the position because of the seat that they're sitting in, but you need to live out the truth that you're hearing, not what you're seeing. As we move through this passage, there are so many other things that we're probably not going to see because for whatever reason this is paused. What is going on? Did it go? Okay, good. Was that you, Eli? Or Weston? Thank you. This is really weird. So the Pharisees are the self-proclaimed um, guardians of the law. So back in the day when the law came about, they needed somebody to explain it. And so they wanted to protect the, the essence of the law, the integrity of the law. And so they dove in. So at the onset, their job, their, their personal responsibility and all this was pure and it was honest and it was good. But over thousands of years, it morphed into this other thing. They loved the law. They taught the law. And they protected it. They gave their life for that. Oh, this is going to irritate me. Can you go to the next one, please? Thank you. Jesus encourages his listeners to do what the Pharisees say. He wants them to do what they say. And there are so many things that, that I could say here. When, when I was coaching in, in Alabama, I coached with a, another guy. He was um, the, the head coach. I was the assistant coach. We coached a bunch of girls. And... Girls can be really emotional, if you didn't know that, just, it is true. But this guy was just loud and powerful. 
Um, and, and just a little gruff. And so one of the things that I would go to the girls and say, and I would say this, hear what he's saying, not how he's saying it. Take in what he has to say, and you're going to have to work at blocking out the tone and the energy that's coming at you. And that's hard for all of us. Because we want whatever somebody's saying to match what they're doing, right? Then tell me, church, why we as believers struggle with that. We want everybody else to say and do the matching things, but we, our personal selves, don't. We have a personal responsibility in all this. And Jesus is talking to his listeners and saying, hey, hear what they're saying. Why? Go ahead, Wesson. Because this is their only access to the scriptures. Again, you have many versions. This was all they had. They had to go to these men to hear what the, the, the law had to say. Next slide. <laughs> and so when they would do that, they would hear the law that is good. The law is good. It's the word of God being shared with these, these followers, these seekers. And so the law itself is wonderful, but maybe the messengers and the teachers might not be complete. You ever had a pastor like that? You ever had a teacher in the church like that? What was your response? Did you just quit? Did you just walk away and say, I knew those people were like that? Did you discount God and his truth based on somebody, a human? Think about that. Go ahead, Wes. A bad pastor... An arrogant teacher or a a faltering leader should not change the weight of the truth being shared. We've had this discussion in our meetings way back when Ravi Zacharias uh, passed away and then all the the stuff that came out about what he was involved in during his ministry time, uh, which was super tragic. And we, man, we went back and forth trying to, to wrap our brain around how could this happen? Why did this happen? How in the world could nobody have said anything? And, and all of these, these thoughts were going through our mind. But one of the things that we kept coming back to is this. The things that he taught were solid. They were good because it was scripture. His life may have been a wreck. To me, he was a little bit of a Pharisee. He said the right things, but he didn't live the right things. But it doesn't take away from the truth of the scripture. And so many times we as followers allow the bad decisions of our leaders to decide for us whether we're going to stay in this walk or not. Where's the personal responsibility in all of that? My faith is not dependent on whether my parents stay followers of Christ or not. My faith is not dependent upon whether my wife stays a follower of Christ or not. My faith is not dependent on whether you stay as a follower of Christ or not. My faith is based on my faith in Christ. And he will not fail. He cannot fail. And he has not failed. And someday he's going to prove us all right. And I'm excited about that if you can't tell. Listen. I get that we get our feelings hurt. I get that we get disappointed. I understand that. I have felt that myself. But never once have I thought about 
discounting the message and the truth of Christ because of somebody's bad decision. My faith is not based on what you do. And we as followers of Christ need to stop living that way. And in a church our size, there's no doubt many of us, if not all of us, have been hurt by the church some way, somehow. But God bless you for seeing through the mess and keeping your focus on Christ because he is the reason that we take this journey in the first place, not because of some amazing church. We can move on now. Don't ignore the truth because of others' mistakes. Next one. Don't be the excuse someone uses to reject the truth. So just as we shouldn't let someone else be the deciding factor of whether we stay in this journey or not, you don't be that person for somebody else. That is a lot of responsibility, by the way. That's a heavy weight that we don't have to carry alone because I'm pretty sure we just sang some solid verses of seek first the kingdom and all of that stuff will be added. When we seek his righteousness, that's added to us. When we seek after God, we learn more about him. When we seek the right things, our focus will be where it needs to be. And when people watch our lives, they will no longer see the young, arrogant, whippersnapper Alan. Hopefully they will see a little bit older, wiser, somewhat a little more mature Alan. Hopefully they will see that God is working in Alan's life and that he is changing as this journey progresses, not based on who his pastor is, not based on who his small group leader is, not based on who his favorite TV evangelist is, but based on his relationship with the truth of the gospel of Christ. That is personal responsibility. And here is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is now on this mission Not that he hasn't already been on one, but now it's ramping up in this last week that we call Holy Week. And he's saying, okay, here's the deal. You've always trusted someone else to teach you and to help you learn. I am here to tell you, you no longer necessarily need that, but it's good to be a part of it. But I'm going to leave you and give you the Spirit of God personally to live inside of you and to guide you. It is good to sit under good, solid teaching. It is good to be a part of a community of believers, to to do life together and to be taught what Scripture teaches. But you have a personal responsibility to grow on your own. A little transparency. It's exactly what God was dealing with me as I was sitting up here singing that third song. Dude, you got to seek me more. I hear you. I got you. Yes, sir. I'm in. I want to seek him more. I'm tired of being empty. I know you are. So what's the remedy? Seek him. Oh, no, no, no. You got to come to Revelation study on Wednesdays. That's what's going to fill you. No, no, no. Just, just be at church. Put your rump in a seat. Raise your little hands and sing your little songs and amen every now and again. Pay your little tithe and walk out the door. And that will be enough. 
Let me know how that works out for you because it will not be enough. Because you've got Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday that you are personally responsible for and seeking him out on your own. And Jesus is coming to these people saying, hey, listen, you got a personal responsibility to make a choice. Don't look at what they're doing, but listen to what they have to say and do what they say. Next one, Wesson. You know, titles are great. Leader. I like being the leader. Right? But you know what I love even more? Being a servant leader. Being a servant leader. That's my favorite thing to do. And you know why I do that? Because I'm such a mature Christian and just, no. Because I read one time in scripture where Jesus, in the midst of his week before he died, at dinner time with his disciples, one of the special time. And he grabs a basin of water, removes his outer cloak, and he kneels down and washes their nasty feet. God in the flesh, kneeling down to wash his creation's feet. Think about that. That's the type of servant leader I want to be. I don't mind making the hard decisions. I don't mind having, well, I do mind having the hard conversations, but I'll have them. But you know what I want to do more than anything else? I just want to serve. Let me get my hands dirty. Don't stick me in an office studying all day long. Let me serve. And that's going to look different for all of us. Some of you would much rather be sitting in an office serving in that capacity. Great. But let's figure out how we can find our personal responsibility in our walk with Christ of figuring out how to serve and to lead people to him. That's what we're all called to do. Titles are great. Glad you got your titles. But we all should strive for a servant leader. Next one. Watch these verses. John 13, it says, Jesus says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also do, uh, ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You know, growing up, one of my favorite things to do in our, our denomination in, in, in our churches that I grew up in were, was the feet washing um, services that we would do. Now, many of you are like, what? <laughs> this is not where you... You, we're not scrubbing your feet. We're not, we're not doing any of that because that's kind of gross. But here's what we did do. We'd split up men and women for obvious reasons. We'd have a time of sharing, have a time of singing. And all we would do is we'd take our socks and shoes off. We'd put our foot over a bowl of water. You can probably go back one. And just put the water on the feet. We weren't working our fingers in between the toes to get all the toe jam out and all that kind of stuff because that's just gross. <laughs> well, I, I'm, all I'm doing is dispelling what people are automatically thinking about foot washing. It's, it is an act of service because many of y'all are thinking, ain't nobody touching my feet. But the reality is it's an act of service to touch one of the most dirtiest parts of our body to say, hey, I'm willing to walk with you. I'm willing to serve you in this aspect. And that is exactly what Jesus did. And you know what he said? He says, if I am willing to do this, 
You should do it. Now, at the end of the service, we're going to, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what, it, what would it be like, though, if the next time you had a family over to your house and you said, I, I want to serve you. I'm not going to wash your feet, but how can I serve you tonight? Or you just go to some other friend's house and say, hey, we're here to serve you. We'll, we'll scrub your toilets. We'll clean your house. We'll do the house. What do you, how can we serve you today? We have lost the art of truly serving one another because we live in a society of what can I get? And if we want to flip our town around, if we want to flip our world around, we have to flip our own thinking around and take the personal responsibility of saying, how can I serve? Now you can go to the next one. So what is he trying to say? Let's look at that. Go ahead, Wesson. Let your words match your works which should reflect your heart. Talk is cheap. Our talk should match our walk. It's a nice little pastory thing to say, right? But our talk and our walk should come from what our heart and where it's at. And so if we have the, the nice things to say, but we're not really doing what we're supposed to be doing, then it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And the only one that can fix your heart is Christ. He's the only one that can change and to fix and to unbend that which is broken. He's the only one. So let me, let me say that one more time. You may have all the right things to say and all the Sunday school answers to give, but if your life does not match your walk or your, your speech, then probably you have a heart issue. You have a heart issue. And again, the only one that can fix that heart issue is Christ. Go ahead, Weston. Go ahead, Weston. Thank you. <clears throat> James chapter 2. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Our faith, our talking about, I'm following God, I love Jesus. If we do not have the works to substantiate that, then our faith is basically empty words. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And he will say, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, prove it. You talk a really good game, but you just fussed out somebody for no reason. You talk a really good game. But you cheat your taxes. You talk a really good game, but you do what the Bible says we should not do. James says, I'm not going to tell you about my faith. I'm going to let my life speak it for me. Because Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we can't do those two things then do we really have faith in Christ? It's a heart issue. Next one. Almost done, I promise. 
James continues. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? If you don't know that story, it's a fantastic story in the book of Genesis where a, a father was tasked in killing his son who God had promised him that he's going to have all these generations come. And so they thought that Isaac was the guy. And God said, hey, Take your son up on a mountain and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Now, you may be new to church. We don't do that. We don't offer child sacrifices here. And God had a whole plan for this. So don't start thinking that God's this crazy, maniacal thing because he's not. He's watching to see the faith of Abraham because Abraham takes his son on a couple days journey. They travel up to the top of the mountain while his son's carrying the very wood that's going to burn him. Puts him on the altar, binds him up, and gets ready to thrust a knife into his chest to take his life. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? And God spares him and says, I I see you, Abraham. Not only did you talk and say the right things, but your life exemplifies what you have said. Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. If you are not living the Christian life, then your words are empty. In other words, stop sinning. Stop being a bonehead. Start living the life that you already know you're supposed to be living and don't wait on me to tell you what those steps are. Find some personal responsibility within yourself and seek after God while I'm not around you. And hopefully, most likely, what will happen is when you come back here on a Sunday, whatever God lays on my heart to share with you will resonate with what he's been talking to you about all week long. But if you wait for me, you're starving all week long. Starving. Good. God desires humility over self-adoration. All the works they worked were to be seen by men. You remember that verse? Very plainly, Jesus says, they're doing all these things because they just want the recognition. Desiring the best seat in the house. They want that pole position, man. They want to be seen by everybody. And they have the best titles. Next one. Well, there's some scripture that talks about this. John the Baptist, who John the Baptist was the forerunner. He was the guy that came just before Christ to kind of set the stage. He was the one that got to baptize Jesus. And in the midst of his disciples talking to John and asking him, hey, why aren't you the guy? Why don't you be like Jesus? Here's what Jesus is doing. Why don't you do that? And John says, whoa, that's not why I'm here. I must decrease so he can increase. You must decrease so Christ can increase. And that's just not talk. That's in how you live your life. Next one. John chapter 5. Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous. Because, listen, this is Jesus saying this. I do not seek my own will. Gets a little confusing because it's God in the flesh and he's speaking as God even though he's Jesus as a human. That just confused you a little bit? But it's really simple. From the human perspective of who Jesus is, he has his own will. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Hey, listen, if we can do the crucifixion some other way, I'm in. But if not, I will follow you. So even in this, 
He's not going to seek his own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus knew how to decrease himself, debase himself, humble himself, so that God would be exalted. We, as followers of Christ, need to learn how to humble ourselves. We ride way too high on our horses. Next one. Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. I just want to remind us that there are a lot of solid teachings on TV. But probably more unsolid teachings on TV. What I would say to all of that, because I know many of us probably follow along of the, uh, follow those people, look hard at their lives. Because if you are placing too much responsibility on their words and not looking at their life, you might get taken for a ride. Be very careful. I would say the same thing about me. Please do not put me on a pedestal because I am afraid of heights. If you put all your trust and faith in me, I am a man, a human being that has a flesh and I might just disappoint you. And don't let the enemy take that little root of disappointment and draw you away from the very one who loves you more than I could ever. You see, you have a personal responsibility in all of this. And this is what Jesus is trying to convince his followers of. Listen to what they have to say. But you live according to what you are learning, not what you are seeing. Go ahead. Begin by following the word of God, not the messenger. Now, I know Paul says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And I would say the same thing. As long as I'm following Christ and as long as I'm close to Christ and my life is mirroring that, then you can stay with me and follow me. But the moment that I'm out of that, you better keep following God and step away from me. Amen is proper right there. And I'm okay with that. It don't hurt my feelings. Because the last thing I want to do is lead you astray. But don't. Follow me if I'm not following him. Your responsibility is to follow him, not me. Next one. Let your view of God come from his word and not the actions of others. Again, I know that a lot of times we get people coming in from other churches that just got burned or got a bad experience or maybe they're just coming back to church because of a bad experience. Please, I am begging you. Don't discount God and his word and his work because the miss or bad actions of someone else. Don't. You have a personal responsibility to stay in tune with him. People are people first, right, Jim? To let your view of God come from his word. Last one. Let your actions, both internal and external, let it reflect the word of God. This to me is the crux to all of this. The Pharisees missed it and Jesus is trying to rewrite the tracks on this one. The train was derailed and he's trying to put it back and get it going in the right direction. And he's saying, listen, 
It is good to say a lot of things, but make sure your internal is matching what you're saying. Our actions have to match what we are learning and what God is teaching us. Weston, thank you. So here we are. Here's my question to you this morning. Where are you? Are you emptying of self? I'm okay with that. That's good. That's where we want to be. And filling yourself with God? Or are you truly full of yourself and empty of God? Let me tell you how to fix that. It's a heart issue. It's a choice that you have to make. I can't make it for you. Your mama can't make it for you. Your spouse can't make it for you. You have to make it. And there's no doubt in my mind that God is already working on hearts this morning, letting you know that, hey, you're a little too full of yourself. You need to be more full of me. He just is. Because we're all in that spot. We could all be a little less of me, right? Here's some questions for you as the praise team comes. Number one, have you lost sight of who this is really about? Have you lost sight of who this is really about? Is this about you, this life? Is it all about you? Is, is this life about the pastor? Is it about God or have you made something else what this life is all about? That's really the first question we have to answer. What's this really about? Question number two is this. Have you become a distraction to those around you? In other words, are what you're saying to people different than what you're modeling for people? And you're keeping people from coming to Christ because your walk is not matching your talk. It's a big question. Because now we gotta think back through everything. Well, this morning when I was driving into work or driving to church, I sped past a couple of members of the church because I was late. I, I didn't do that because I don't speed anymore. It's as simple as those things. I'm not talking about the big stuff. We're all smart on that. We know when we mess up. I'm talking about the little things that we think, oh, that doesn't really matter. It matters. Let's take some personal responsibility in our lives and recognize that God has a plan. He has an expectation of how we are to live. And if we are going to claim the name of Christ, our responsibility is to live it. Pure and simple. And I don't want to be a distraction to those around me because of that. Question number three. Is your walk matching your talk? Only you can answer that. You can ask my opinion. But I, I'm not in your head and I don't know your heart. But you know, the one that created you knows you best. He knows where your head is at. He knows where your heart is at. And he is the only one that can come to you and say, hey, here's where you need to work. And then it's on you. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I love you. I appreciate all that you do. You are so good. And your word is so amazing in how it can dive into the very root of our issues if we will allow it. God, may your truth move forward in our lives today in, in all kinds of different avenues. God, this is a sermon that covered many different things. Lord, it may be our attitude towards church leaders. It may be our attitude towards you and, and your 
way that you want us to live. It, it could be that we're just not matching in what we're saying and doing. But God, you know the hearts of the hearers here this morning. You know the hearts of those that are at home if they're still listening. God, we just need you to move. Move us out of our seat. Move us out of our complacency. Move us out of our spot one step closer to you. I'm going to turn it over to you and allow you to do what only you can do in Jesus' name.